We didn't mention that, as always, when you walked in, we gave you a little prayer request card. Uh, we would love to pray for any need that you might have or you would uh, want to submit to us to pray for on Wednesday. It's one of the things we do. We hand out those prayer request cards, and uh, the people that gather here will not only pray for that need on Wednesday night, but then they walk home with that, and they continue to pray. Uh, so if you still have your prayer request card and you want to fill that out, then at the end of the service, you can just hand it in to one of the ushers, and they'll make sure that it gets to us so that we can distribute it on uh, Wednesday. And I'm so thankful that as a church family, we don't have to wait until Wednesday for prayer. And uh, I'm aware of a number of family members that are hospitalized or at home sick, uh, loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord. So we have so many needs that are before us. Would you agree with me this morning as we look to the Lord and ask God's grace to abound in all of those lives and all of those needs? Father, we come before you this morning so thankful for the greatest gift of all, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. So thankful that through his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, we can come into your presence boldly, confidently, knowing that you hear us not because we're eloquent, not because we deserve to be heard, but because of what Jesus Christ, your son, accomplished on the cross of Calvary. And not only does that open the way for us to come into your presence, O oh God, but because you, uh, we can come, you hear and you answer uh, the cry of our hearts, O oh God. And this morning, we lift up our hearts to you. We, we cry out for everyone who is sick, oh God, whether they're at home, whether they're at the hospital, oh God. We pray for your healing power to flow into bodies today, oh God, touching them for the glory of your name, oh God. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, oh God, that you would give them comfort in their heart, a comfort that only you can give, oh God, for truly only you can go into the deepest parts of our hearts where we hurt the most, oh God. Let the comfort of your spirit be their portion today, we pray, oh God. Bless, bless, bless your people, we pray, Father. And even now, God, as we prepare to look into your word, oh God, I pray for the guidance of your spirit so that I would say everything you want me to say, oh God. I pray, oh God, for our ears to be open, not the physical ears, but the ear, more importantly, the ears of our hearts, oh God, so that we can hear the message that you have for every single one of us. And we promise to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. By the way, um, one of our members um, went home to be with the Lord, uh, Brother Ken, and um, we are going to have some information available uh, throughout the course of the week. If you contact the office, uh, the funeral is going to be on Friday evening and then the, I believe the committal on Saturday morning. Uh, so if you want the information of where that's all at, please call the office, and we'll make sure that we communicate that to you. We mentioned that in two weeks, everybody say two weeks with me. Two weeks. We have, uh, we, that'll be on the 22nd. It will be our present, little mini presentation called The Greatest Gift. Now, we are doing that because 
this is the time of year that people's hearts are being more warm towards Christmas and they're more open to uh, coming uh, to a church service, maybe if they haven't come throughout the course of the year. And we want to do our very best. We've been encouraging you. Mark that in your calendar. Invite someone to come so that they can hear about the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And uh, uh, we're, we're believing God that he's going to touch many lives so that on the 22nd, that's our mission, to bring somebody here so that they can hear the good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, to help us stay on mission, we started a little mini-series last week called Gifts, uh, where we are looking at the gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus. Uh, and last week, we talked about the gift of myrrh. And today, we're going to focus on the gift of gold. So that's the one that we're going to look at today, the gift of gold. So if you have your Bible, we're looking at Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read it again, verses 1 through 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophets wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child and his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. All right. So as we have just read... Uh, these wise men come from eastern lands to pay honor to the one who was born, the king of the Jews. And each gift that the wise men gave the Lord has a symbolic meaning to it. As we talked last week about myrrh, myrrh represented the Lord's death. And so, in fact, uh, I'm going to encourage you, if you didn't get last week's message, if you were not here, you can listen to it on one of our social media outlets. There they are there uh, where you can listen to the sermon online. Uh, today, we, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about the gift of gold. Uh, so 
which is the most costly of the gifts. This was given to acknowledge royalty. The gift of gold was given to acknowledge royalty. And so it represents Jesus' kingship, his rightful authority to govern, to rule. By their gift, listen now, the wise men declared Jesus the rightful king of the Jews, God's people. Remember, they, when they came into Jerusalem and they got the audience with Herod, who was the king at that time, they said specifically, we have come to worship the king of the Jews. This gift, this gift of gold, really didn't invoke and does not invoke the best in man. And I want to take a little journey to help you understand what I'm talking about. As I mentioned, Herod was the king at that time. And because he was king and wanted to remain king, when he discovered what the Magi had said, and since the Magi never came back and told him where they found the king of the Jews, Herod was furious. And so now he invoked this evil, demonic, if you will, plan to destroy, to kill the king, this baby king. And so listen to what the Bible says in the same chapter, in the 16th verse, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in, in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men report of the star's first appearance. So check that out. Because Herod wanted to remain king, he literally devised this wicked plan and ordered the death of every boy two years old and under to ensure that he would remain king. Now we fast forward to Jesus as an adult, and we know that ultimately, as we talked last week, Jesus' mission was not to heal his mission wasn't to raise the dead. His mission wasn't to open the eyes of the blind. His mission was to die on the cross for the sins of the world. But now, as he was arrested, prior to him being crucified, we find the Roman soldiers mocked Jesus' kingship. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, beginning verse 27. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorns branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a, a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes again. Then they led him away to be crucified. So now we get the picture. Now Jesus, adult, he's been arrested. And now the Roman soldiers 
they begin to mock him, but they're not mocking him as a prophet. They're not mocking him as a healer. They don't mock him as a man who spoke wise words. They begin to mock Jesus for his kingship, for his kingship. Now, Pilate was the governor at that time, so he's interrogating Jesus. He doesn't find any fault with Jesus. So now the Bible tells us now that he brings Jesus out before the people, as was the custom, to try to set Jesus free. And so Pilate said, hey, hey, in fact, let's read in John chapter 19. I'll begin in verse 13. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your what? King. Away with him, they shouted. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your what? King, Pilate asked. Listen, we have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So now, Pilate, who doesn't find anything wrong with Jesus, comes out and he sits on his seat of judgment and he tells, he tells all the people that have been gathered, behold your king. And they respond, crucify him, crucify him. These are the people of God, led by the religious leaders. And, and Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? Away with him, crucify. We have no king but Caesar. And so Pilate hands Jesus over, and he's crucified. But we know, according to prophecy, on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. That was a good place to say amen. Thank you, honey. Great wife. How many would say, I got a great wife? Come on, somebody, help me out here. I'm trying to score some points here this morning. And he was seen by his uh, disciples, and ultimately he was raised to the right hand of the Father. Now, the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, has many things in it, but what I love about it, it gives us a little glimpse into the activity of heaven, and we find in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, together they go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of lords and what? King of kings. And then again, listen to Revelation 19, 16. On his robe at his thigh was written this title. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. In other words, what we see in heaven is that Jesus now has been given this title by the Father. This is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who is now King 
of kings, meaning he is the ultimate king. He's the king of all other kings. But now let's apply all of this to our lives today. Because remember, the gift of gold is the most costly of all the three gifts. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. This gold is the most costly of all the gifts. This one that acknowledges royalty. It is the most costly of the gift because of what it represents. In other words, listen, for you and I to give Jesus Christ symbolically the gift of gold, it means that we acknowledge his royalty, his kingship over our lives. Okay. Now, this gift is costly because it means that we have to surrender the control of our life over to God. We have to say to the Lord, you rule my life and not I. It is costly because it is the most difficult decision a Christian will ever make. Listen to me now. The gift of gold, the acknowledgement and the embracing of Jesus' kingship, his rule over my life, it is the most costly gift because I have to surrender my heart, my life in totality to this one to rule over me. That's why it is often the most difficult, and to me, it is always the most difficult decision a Christian will ever make. Why? Because we can accept Jesus Christ and his death, as we talked last week. We can accept and embrace the fact that he died for our sins, and we love the fact that he's our Savior. Oh, what a Savior we were singing earlier today. We love that. But to accept and embrace for our lives his kingship. Now that's where the real struggle comes in our life. I want you to consider three reasons why embracing the kingship of Jesus Christ is so difficult for us. Trust me, you're not going to be comfortable. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, get ready, it's a rocky road. It's a rocky road. But this is important because if we don't examine this, we will always falter in our Christian journey. Number one, why, why the kingship of Christ is so difficult for us? Listen, we are like Herod. We are like Herod. What was, like, what was Herod like? We want to be our own king. Remember, that was Herod's problem. He was the king at that time. He hears, what do you mean the king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. 
I'm in charge, not this baby or whoever, whatever his name is. I'm the king. And we are just like Herod in that we want to be king. We want to be in control of our life. We want to govern our own life. We want to rule over our own life. In fact, I will say this. Every single one of us has this corruption in our DNA. It's be the better than more correct word, we all have a mutation in our DNA. And that mutation is the gene that says, I rebel against all authority. I knew it would get quiet on that one. Yeah, you're all born with that. That's why you never have to teach any child the word no. It's part of the DNA package. The minute you exert authority over your child, you find all of a sudden your little angel is not a little angel anymore. Oh, my God, when she came home from the hospital, what a bundle of joy. Josie is so beautiful. <laughs> She's going to be born maybe any minute today. It could be. And Pastor Joe, you see, look, look, everybody. <laughs> Until the first day, Daddy said, Josie, go to your room. No. <laughs> and of course, since Pastor Joey is so spiritual, he said, Mommy taught you that word? <laughs> it's part of our package, part of that DNA. It's a mutation in all of our DNA that we, by nature, rebel against authority. In fact, come on, wouldn't it be a perfect world if everybody left us alone to live our life the way we wanted to? Oh, somebody said, yeah, too good there, man. Somebody said. <laughs> but come on, the moment you, you're born, your parents are telling you what to do. And if you were part of my family, your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, your aunts, your grandpa, everybody is telling you how to live your life, right? And then you go to school, and school tells you how to live your life. And then you get a job, and your boss is telling you how to live your life. And then you get married, and we're not going to go any further than that, so I don't get in trouble. But life would be perfect if we could just live the life the way we want to. But the problem is, listen, it's going to get quiet again. Because Herod wanted to be king, it led him to destroy life. And when you and I insist on being king, we always destroy life, beginning with our own first. We ruin our life. We make incredibly bad decisions, decisions that we would ordinarily never have even considered. Do you think Herod for a whole moment would have considered ever killing little children? If you had told him that a month before, he'd be like, what are you, crazy? I would never do something like that. But he did. Because this drive to become our own king is powerful. And it will cause you to make decisions that will destroy your life and those that are around you. So number one, the reason why 
the kingship of Christ is so difficult is we're like Herod. Here's number two. We're like the Roman soldiers. Remember the Roman soldiers, they mocked Jesus. They mocked his kingship specifically. We live in a day and age, and this is one of the saddest truths, where Christians, not those who have rejected Christ, I'm talking about those who have embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior. We have Christians who think it's ridiculous to live your life surrendered to the kingship of Christ. That's ridiculous to think that you would just say, God, whatever you want to do with my life, do it. Christians who have that attitude, who not only have that attitude, but mock other believers who have it as well. You see, the truth of the matter is, you are like the Roman soldiers if Jesus exists to serve you and not the other way around. It's sad again, but we have in Christianity this mindset that Jesus exists to bless us. Jesus exists to make our life better. Jesus exists to, to give me what I need. And while all those things are true, that he blesses, that he provides for us, those are wonderful truths about our Lord and our Savior, which we're, I'm so happy about. Here's what we need to be careful of. Jesus does not exist for me. I exist for him. And so do you. We all exist for his pleasure. Ah, but when he's not your king, you will mock that truth. And the problem with being like the Roman soldiers, when you mock the kingship of Christ, you're declaring to this world that Jesus Christ is not worthy of your service to him. And you forfeit an incredible, incredible testimony. Number three, and why? Embracing Christ as our king is so difficult is that we are like the religious leaders. The religious leaders embraced the kingship of Caesar over the kingship of Christ. They were very specific in saying, we choose Caesar rather than Jesus, right? They rejected Jesus' kingship because they would rather embrace the kingship of Caesar. Caesar at that time was the king of the known world, ruled the world pretty much. Now, here's the thing about Caesar and what he symbolizes. For that, we're going to turn to Luke's gospel in the fourth chapter. This is Jesus now being tempted by the devil. And we find in the 
uh, uh, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 5, then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said, I will give you the glory of all these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it to you if you will worship me. In other words, what the devil was tempting Jesus with, he's saying, I have been granted. Well, who granted the devil that authority? God did. He said, I'm the king of this world. And I have all of these kingdoms. I rule all over them. I will give that authority to you, Jesus, if you will worship me. Are you following me so far? Okay. So here's where now. So going back to Caesar who was, at that point in time, king of the world, Caesar represents, symbolizes the devil, the one who rules the world. So God's people chose to, the king of this world, the devil, over the king of peace, Jesus. Now, can that happen to us as God's people? Now, I know you're probably thinking, there's no way the devil is my king, pastor. There's no, I mean, come on, let's not get crazy now. What are you talking about when we're talking about this? Well, here's where we need to listen closely. Because the embracing of Caesar as king, it isn't about pitchforks and the occult. It's rejecting Jesus' kingship and embracing Caesar means I'd rather have this world and what it has to offer to govern my life as opposed to Jesus governing my life. Are you following me now? In other words, it means Christians living to please themselves. This world and what it has to offer, that's who governs my life. That's what I live for. That's what I'm pursuing. I have no problem bowing before the throne of almighty credit card because, oh, that God, he helps me out so much to get everything that I want. Now, we chuckle, but this is serious business because Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose which one is going to be your king. Right? And, and Caesar symbolizes this world system and the pleasures that it offers God's people. And oftentimes, we are, again, we're not questioning somebody's salvation. You've embraced Christ as your Savior. But the problem is now, you don't want Jesus to rule over you because somewhere in your psyche, you have been convinced of the lie. If I embrace the kingship of Christ, man, I'm going to be walking around solely sad as a Christian for Forever. Man, I had no fun in my life. Oh, man, Jesus being my king is terrible. And, oh, this is, I don't even know why I'm living. This is the most depressing thing to have Jesus as my king. That's what some of us think. Because the devil has convinced us, hey, come over to my side. Look what I have to offer you. Look at the pleasures that I have for you to pursue. You see. Now, the problem with the religious leaders, and, and by the way, let, let's, 
talk about that for a second as a form of humility for everybody because no one is exempt from this. It was the religious leaders who yelled out the shouting that we want Caesar over Jesus. So it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor, deacon, elder, it doesn't matter what your position you are in church or how long you've been saved. Any one of us at any time can start yelling, give me Caesar over Jesus. And the problem with that, it led Jesus to be crucified. Every time we, the people of God, those who have embraced Christ as our Savior, when we reject his kingship because we rather enjoy this life, we crucify the Lord all over again. We tell the Father, put him on the cross. I don't want, I'd rather have him on the cross than, than governing my life. Kill him again. And I know that that sounds harsh, but that's what happened. Listen, Jesus was crucified because of his kingship. It wasn't because he was a good man. It wasn't because he healed people. It wasn't because he was a prophet. They crucified Jesus Christ because he was a king. And the proof is when Pilate put a sign on the top of the cross, which was a, it was always identifying the crime for which they were crucified, what did Pilate write? The king of the Jews. Jesus Christ died because he was a king. He was crucified by his own people, the people he came to die for, because they rejected his kingship. Worship team, if you would come. You see, this gift of gold is a declaration of Jesus Christ's kingship. And we've already read the scripture that shows us that in heaven, he's already been crowned king of kings and lord of lords. So the issue is never in heaven. Here's what I realize. Every single day, multiple times during the course of the day, you and I have to decide, will we give Jesus the gift of gold? Will we crown him king in our hearts? Will we surrender to his governance, to his rule? I thought about that for a while. And I thought about three areas of practicality that oftentimes we struggle with Jesus being our king. Number one, our time. We don't want anybody telling us what to do with our time. I know I gotta go to work. I, gotta, I know I gotta earn a living or go to school. But after that, after my responsibilities, now I have free time. That's my time. But the truth of the matter is, it's not our time, it's his time. It's always his time because we belong to him. But now, when we struggle with Jesus' kingship, 
and he decides, I want you to spend some time with these people over here who are hurting, now we have a decision to make. Because if I reject what the Lord has indicated he wants me to do, to spend my time with them, I am telling the Lord, it is not your time, it's my time. You're not king of my time, I am. So time is important. It talks about his kingship. Then I thought about our attitudes. Everybody in this room, we all have attitudes. Some of you have been having an attitude while I've been preaching. <laughs> I can't believe he's talking like that. <laughs> Who is he? We all have attitudes. We have different attitudes about everything. Some of us have major attitudes when it comes to politics. Some of us have major attitudes in social media today. And all these, everybody has an opinion about something. And you know when your attitude comes out? When somebody says something you disagree with. Then everybody understands where you lie and what your attitude is. And the amazing thing about attitudes is you can't hide them. Because if you don't speak them, your body declares them. Right? Somebody says something and you're like, I'm not going to say anything. But all of a sudden you're stiff. And your lip starts to quiver. You want to say something, but see, you're a Christian. You can't say something because you know better, but you're in your heart. You're screaming because your attitude. We all have them. But Jesus wants to be king of our attitude. So what happens? I got that attitude against Danny, and the Lord says, Carlos, that's a wrong attitude. I don't want you to have that attitude. Go apologize to Danny. Well, what about what Danny did to me? You ever notice that God could care less about that? He's always dealing with you. You can't uh, do, like remember when Adam, the wife you gave me, you know, he blamed Eve. Never works with God. And then I have a decision to make. Am I going to embrace the kingship of Christ who wants to govern my life? And he's governing this attitude. He's saying, I want that attitude gone. Get it right. The moment I say no to that, I'm rejecting the kingship of Christ. And the last one, the biggest one that I saved for last. Oh, here it comes. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, here it comes, here it comes. I prepared for this part because I only got singles in my, in my wallet. Is he king over our finances? Does God rule your wallet? Does God rule your pocketbook? Is he the one that determines what you give in the offering? Is he the one that determines whether you are going to buy that television or not? Is God the one that determines? Is God the one that determines whether you are going to go and spend the, the, the monies that you know you don't have because but you got credit cards? Because there's a lot of sales right now. There was a year when I 
specifically when I first came on to the church in New York full time, and I, we had to take a two-thirds pay cut to do that, but we believed it was God. And God was faithful all along to supply every need that we had. But then we approached Christmas, and I felt so strongly, Lord, tell me, you don't have the money to buy gifts for everybody in your family. Your wife's family, your family, to give gifts to people in the church that you know for so long. You don't have the money. And I don't want you to charge. Well, that left me in a place where I said, okay, now what do I do? How do I tell everybody this year there will be no gifts? I struggled for that for a while. But I realized I need to do what God is telling me to do. He's taken care of me. He's provided. And so I approached my family and shared with them that because of where our finances were, was at, we would not be doing this. No gifts at all. We love everybody, but we can't give any gifts, and we're fine with people not giving us gifts. Would you know that that opened up a great blessing in my family? Because there's six kids, and there's grandchildren and all that, and all of a sudden, all my brothers are, well, we can't afford that either. That's too many of us giving our gifts, you know, the, the, the siblings plus their spouses plus the children, and all, yeah, we can't do that either. I said, fine, then everybody's free. And it changed our whole family dynamic because now none of us was trying to live above our means. That would have never happened if I would have allowed my pride to be king instead of Jesus. Because that's what it is, isn't it? It's pride. But I'm just trying to be very practical here as we wind down that there are so many ways that the Lord needs to be king in our life and wants to demonstrate his kingship. You may not always like what the king decides. I'm telling you that straight up. But if you honor the king, you will always find a blessing because the greatest blessing any one of us could ever receive is the sense that we have done right in God's eyes. Listen to me now, because there's no greater blessing than to have this incredible peace come over you saying, I know I did what God wanted me to do. Physically, things may not have ever changed, but here, I felt my spirit bow down to the one who died for me and now is my king. And I honored him with that. And because I did, he's well pleased. Stand with me. The worship team is going to lead us in a chorus, and then we're going to close out in a word of prayer. But as we sing, listen, whoever governs over our time, our attitudes, our finances, that's the one who's really king of our life. I pray. Today we make the decision to make sure it's Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word has ministered to our hearts today. 
It has helped us to truly understand, to see. It has opened our eyes so that we can see what this gift of gold represents, oh God, and that it was all about your kingship. And it's still about your kingship today. We want to be a people that embrace you not just as our Savior, but as our King as well. As the one who rules and governs over our lives. I pray today, Father, that every single one of us, every day that you give us breath, will make that godly decision to say yes to your kingship. We want to honor the one who loves us and died for us. We want to honor the one who already in heaven has been crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. May you be King of Kings in all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord.